Hello world and welcome to Podcast in A Minor, where I bring you the weird little songs I write and then give you the stories behind them. Weird stories, creepy stories, funny stories, whatever the world gives us in all its glorious mystery. And now for today's opening song. we start that way and then just jump in. and welcome to Podcast in A Minor. I'm Amy Zollers, a poet and an artist, and I'm in one of my moods. You just heard Spectre Cow on the campfire-worthy Daisy Rock Pixie acoustic electric guitar in Plum Purple Burst. Yes, that's his full name. I thought, after having him for 10 years or more, I don't exactly recall, that there must be more to Tony's official title than just Daisy Rock the Purple One. And I found an eBay listing online. It's got Pixie in it. He's a pixie. Yes, and his informal name is Tony. Long ago, in my now bygone bitter days, I named my guitars after the babies I never had, many of them named for English guitarists. What of it? The Black Gretsch was called Zelda, not after the game character, but for my little black cat from back in the 90s. I got her while reading a biography of Zelda Fitzgerald, which I couldn't finish because it just got so nuts. And I knew how it ended. It's kind of like the Titanic. I never saw that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. I know how it ends. Anyway, I don't have that guitar anymore. Sorry, Zelda. Well, summering and shimmering onward, we abandon our cryptids, but not the campfire, and take up a ghost story instead. That right there puts me in a fine mood. Not because I don't love cryptids. I do. But because I'm totally into ghost stories. And so to the lyrics. Oh, the nightmare headless phantom cow. Well, you know she's going to scare you good. Yeah, you know she's going to scare you good. With the green flames flying from her spectral throat, better run. Gonna know you should. Gonna run. Better know you should. Fearful noises. Fearful noises. Hideous noises from the flaming throat of the headless phantasmal beast. Eyes bright and green fire, throat spewing ghost fire, haunted groanings rise from the advancing disembodied head. 
What a terror, stalking night wanderers on the path from the butchery. Oh, the old ruined butchery. Fearful object, fearful object. Charge along your phantasmal range. Phantasmal range, phantasmal range. Wowie zowie, how about that? A headless phantom cow, no less. True story. Well, if it's in the papers, it must be so. Right, Papa? An old friend, Dr. Jeffrey Clayton, cryptid researcher, sent me an 1896 newspaper article titled Ghost of a Cow with a Severed Head, the Frightful Spook that Has Alarmed the Residents of Cambria County, PA. That's the state of Pennsylvania. To quote from newworldexplorerssociety.blogspot.com, the following, trigger warning, cow with severed head. While this may sound like the call of a carny barker trying to pull would-be customers into some old, obscure freak show tent, this was indeed the title published in the August 9, 1896 edition of the World Newspaper, along which the paper created a magnificent rendition of the spectral steer. The paper stated that the sightings were cataloged by an Elmer Person, an editor of the Pennsylvania Grit, claimed that he had spoken to several witnesses in the area of Johnstown who all claimed to witness the ghost cow running as fast as a train from the abandoned slaughterhouse that had seemingly taken its life. The apparition is described to follow a particular fence and stone wall, and upon reaching a specific spot, it will turn around and head back to the slaughterhouse, the area of which is known as Climber's Hill. The description of the ghost is always the same, according to Person, who states that the ghost seems to hover along the course of the fence or above the stone wall, and that its head, which is dislocated from the body, floats above the ground, away from the torso on its own accord. The ghost apparently releases several haunting bellows, which both come from the mouth and the body of the ghost, as its throat is still slightly attached to the torso. The severed floating head of the ghost also is claimed to release a greenish fire from its mouth and eyes and the severed portion of the cow's neck and torso. He claimed that the area was avoided by many, including even the bold attempt of curiosity by children. He even quoted a man who said that during the day the cow was something of a joke, yet at night it was a haunting reality that few would want to experience. This elderly man who offered this advice claimed that even he had witnessed the apparition and will not venture into the area during the night. And if there was any confusion, the person who wrote for the Pennsylvania Grit, who was telling this um, in the original newspaper story, that person's name is Elmer Person. So a little confusing, but what can you do if that's your name, right? And there is a magnificent illustration of the ghost of a cow with a severed head, which I think I will post to Instagram in the following days, directly from the 1896 newspaper article itself. It caused intense excitement. That's the heading to the column to the next column, the next paragraph caused intense excitement. Mr. Person puts forth this story as one worthy of all credence. He adds that the people for miles around are very much excited about the spook and none is able to offer explanations that are satisfactory. No one who has encountered the spook once can be induced to go near the place again at night. One sight of the headless cow as she dashes down the road bellowing hoarsely through the stump of a neck is all that anyone cares to have. The country about the scene of the terrifying occurrences is wild and hilly. There was formerly considerable travel along the road which led past the slaughterhouse, 
but since the ghostly cow has begun traveling the thoroughfare at night with teeth that look like bicycle lanterns and with a head that refuses to stay where it belongs, things have changed considerably and people drive around the other way. That headless cow spook seems funny in the daytime, said one man who saw it, but at night there is nothing funny about her. I saw her once and heard her bellow and I shall not go past that old slaughterhouse again soon after dark. Whoa, now you're talking. A phantom cow with a nearly severed head, greenish flames lighting up her eyes and throat, teeth like bicycle lanterns, hideous haunted groans rising from that head, which travels several feet ahead of her levitating body while spewing that green fire. Thank you, God. And in case you didn't know, ghostly events were reported regularly in the newspapers back in the day. A New York Times article titled Ghosts, Goblins, and Ghouls? The New York Times was on it printed as News from Beyond the Grave in the Halloween 2018 edition of the paper, explains the phenomenon of paranormal incidents presented possibly as serious news. Oh my God, the Blue Jays, you guys. Oh, my, I think they're angry with me. Anyway, when Paulette Kilmer of the University of Toledo went searching the paper's archives while writing a chapter for After the War, the Press in a Changing America, copyright 2017, she unearthed close to 300 ghost stories printed between 1851, when the New York Times began, and the early 20th century. Here is an example given in the article. The City of Phenomena, Ghosts in Brooklyn, Doorbells rung, doors rattled, and a brick thrown through a window. A vain search for small boys. Perfect. How many terrifying events can be traced back to small boys? I love it. That blurb was printed in the Times on December 20th, 1878, just in time for Christmas ghost stories. See bonus episode 29 and a half, Christmas Eve ghost stories, exclamation point, of podcast in A minor. Do. Go listen. Maybe if everyone does, the Northern Hemisphere will think it's winter and we'll get a little break from the heat. Magical thinking. And now to the blog at genealogybank.com with an article titled Researching Ghosts and Haunted Houses in Newspapers by Gina Philibert Ortega, October 30th, 2013, because the New York Times won't let me read about the 27th Street Goblin without paying for a subscription. Yes, the fee is modest, and maybe later, but for now. From the Trenton Evening Times, January 8th, 1908, a ghost story to do with small boys. Boys wound the ghost. Shoots white-cladded brother standing on cemetery wall. Penn Saucon, January 8th. Henry Tomlinson of Jordantown is suffering from a bullet wound in the thigh as the result of an attempt to frighten a brother by playing ghost. He wrapped himself in a sheet and waited by the cemetery until his brother approached when he stood upon the wall with outstretched arms. Instead of running as the Joker had hoped, his victim drew a revolver and began to fire rapidly at the figure in white who yelled to him to stop, but before he could make himself heard, a bullet struck him. When Tomlinson fell to the ground and screamed he was shot, the other lad ran away greatly frightened without stopping to inquire what damage his bullets had done. He did not know he had shot his brother until the latter limped into the house later. Whoa, 1908, kids on the New Jersey frontier armed. He thrusts his fist against a post and still insists he sees the ghost. Then he shoots his brother. Some things don't mix, like horseplay and gunplay. Be careful out there when pranking in cemeteries. Next we have, home is haunted by ghost of murdered girl. Family of Jane Adams slain at Atlantic City five years ago, 
by the way, um, the attending blog says that it was erroneously reported as five years ago. It was actually three years before the article was written, which was in May of 1913. In the Columbus Daily Inquirer, Columbus, Georgia. Family of Jane Addams slain at Atlantic City five years ago, that's three years ago, appeals to police. Atlantic City, New Jersey, May 10th. Jane Addams, an 18-year-old girl, was murdered five, three, years ago by being thrown from the Million Dollar Pier. The murderer was never found, nor was the reason for his act learned, thereby affording a mystery that was accentuated today by the girl's family appealing to the police to help them solve the appearance at their home of a ghost which they assert bears a strong resemblance to the murdered girl. Mary, a sister of Jane, declares she has frequently seen a hand protrude from closet doors, has heard queer noises at night, and has even observed the ghost's flight from a closet through the house. The whole neighborhood is having an attack of fidgets. Ortega elaborates on the article, saying, Further research into this ghost story reveals that on the night of her death, the murdered girl had gone out with her sister and a young man. After a walk to the pier, she and the young man's brother, who had joined them, were left alone. The prosecution at the time introduced evidence that Jane Adams was fighting for her honor when she was allegedly killed by William Saylor. William, after police questioning, admitted he was there when she died, but denied any culpability. He claimed that they were arguing when she fell off the pier. End quote. Well, I predict this is not the last you'll hear of newspapers reporting on the supernatural on podcast in A minor. And we mustn't forget that the bovine ghost in this week's opening song was headless, or nearly so, some reporting that the head remained somewhat attached to the body, and others proclaiming delightfully that the head traveled a little ways ahead of the floating body, spewing fire and all. So on that score, we'll touch on a handful of other headless ghosts. Remember that scene in the early 1980s British television series, The Young Ones, in which two ghosts in Tudor fashions, or maybe Elizabethan, are arguing while carrying their heads under their arms, and they keep going back and forth calling each other codpiece face until one of the heads goes airborne, I forget just how, and lands in the lap of an oblivious living woman who is watching TV and keeps farting. Hilarious. Link in show notes. Okay, from 10 Headless Ghosts and Monsters by Fiona Staples at listverse.com, I'll choose three. Number one, Nukakubi is a figure in Japanese folklore whose name means the prowling head. The prowling head! Not strictly a ghost, the Nukakubi is like a vampire that eats mortal flesh. During the day, a Nukakubi looks just like any other ordinary person, but at night, its head detaches from the neck and body and flies away. Once it locates a victim, the Nukakubi screams, which paralyzes you. Then it moves in for the kill. One intriguing characteristic is ignorance of the condition. The Nukakubi usually doesn't even know what they are. Maybe they remember dreams in which they see their room from odd angles. In order to defeat a Nukakubi, the body must be destroyed at night, which also kills the head. A Nukakubi can be identified during the day by two or three wrinkles around the bottom of their neck. Number two, the drummer boy of Edinburgh Castle. While ghostly drummer boys are found in legends around the world, the drummer boy of Edinburgh Castle has no head, and that's what sets him apart. His phantom drumming can be heard within the castle walls, and his appearance is said to be an omen that the castle is under threat. The first time he was seen, Oliver Cromwell attacked the castle in 1650. 
And number three, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. From the article Headless Ghosts and Boleyn, the Headless Horseman and Roland, a long tradition of decapitated phantoms at theghoststory.com. Okay, funny. I don't think I'd ever heard this song or the legend, and I just found the story on the website about a couple of hours ago. But last night, my songwriting friend Johnny Pharaoh just played the whole song out of nowhere. Weird phenomenon. I was thinking with secretive glee, ooh, my next podcast has headless ghosts in it. I must at least mention this song. To this very moment, 24 hours later, I have never heard the Warren Zevon version of Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. I should hear it, right? That's an option, of course. Or I could just spend the rest of my life boasting that I've only ever heard the Johnny Farrow version. Anyway, theghoststory.com says... In 1978, when the late singer-songwriter Warren Zevon penned the lyrics to his haunting and haunted musical ballad, Roland, the Headless Thompson Gunner, he was adding the most recent strand to a braid of literature and folklore that Western storytellers first began weaving hundreds of years ago. Okay, quick, spoilers for Roland, the Headless Thompson Gunner, besides the fact that he's headless. The Roland character in Zivon's song is a Norwegian mercenary soldier fighting in Africa who, at the behest of the CIA, is betrayed and murdered by his comrades. Post-death, he returns as a revenant, a headless one, due to his having been decapitated by a burst of automatic gunfire. And he wanders the earth, seeking revenge. Headlessly, I might add. Oh, and I actually looked up Revenant for the exact definition over church coffee while waiting for the others to come back from the sound booth, not knowing I'd actually need it. No, seriously, I was writing a poem about anguished thoughts brought on by the sermon. Should I say that? Confessional poet. So, yes, I should. And thought I'd rather spend my day reading and writing of Revenants than worrying over what in a verse of scripture was relevant in this poet's life. And anyway, it was a relevant Revenant kind of word association thing. And here is that definition now. Revenant, one coming back. Denoting one that returns after death or a long absence, Revenant is a borrowing from French that was originally formed from the present participle of the verb revenir, to return. It literally means one coming back, either from another place or from the dead. Well, don't lose your head. Stay off the path to the defunct slaughterhouse by night, unless you want a fabulous scare. Ooh, sometimes it's worth it. If you happen to be in Edinburgh Castle and the drummering sounds inside the walls, you might be doomed. More on ghosts and headless ghosts and newspaper ghost stories later, as the weird, weird summer of 23 continues. See you next time. It's my rule in the